This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. There have been several elements of the GOP tax plan which have had people scratching their heads since release of the initial proposal. One that is now drawing more attention is the part which would eliminate the $7,500 tax credit for people who buy an electric vehicle. This credit has been one of the main reasons why people have looked at electric vehicles in the first place. To take a look at this potential move, we are joined by Jeremy McCulloch, who is a professor in engineering and tax policy, as well as director of the Vehicle Electrification Group at Carnegie Mellon University. And also joining us is Costas Samaras, who is an adjunct senior researcher at Rand Corporation, as well as an assistant professor in civil and environmental engineering as well at Carnegie Mellon. Jeremy Costa, great to have you joining us today. Thank you both. Good to be here. Thank you. Thank you both. Uh, obviously, we are we are playing a little bit of what might be in this case, but, but Jeremy, if this does go forward, what's your reaction to it? Well, it's certainly going to make it harder for uh, automakers to sell these vehicles and try to make the transition to an electric vehicle fleet. I mean, this is a significant uh, uh, credit toward the price of purchasing an electric vehicle. And states add additional uh, tax credits on top of this. So, uh, for example, in California, you can get a $10,000 reduction in the effective price of buying an electric vehicle. So that makes a big difference when you're comparing electric to uh, gasoline alternatives. So uh, losing that tax credit early is going to uh, you know, make a difference in people's calculations about how attractive electric vehicles are. Costa? I absolutely agree with my colleague. Um, this is going to uh, slow down some of the movement that we've seen in electric vehicles. And bear in mind, electric vehicles are still a super small part yeah. of the overall vehicle market right now. There's 17 million total vehicles sold in the United States and only about 160, 100, 150, 160,000 electric vehicles. So this is a really uh, still a industry in its infancy uh, that that has been using this credit to kind of get off the ground. Why is it you think, though, that, Costa, we haven't seen greater adoption of electric vehicles here in the U.S.? Well, I think part of it is it's a new technology and it's different uh, and uh, it has been expensive. I mean, that's the, the one of the biggest reasons is that the, the reason for the tax credit is to try to get some of the initial capital cost parity for these vehicles with traditional gasoline vehicles. And a lot of people who are trying these uh, vehicles uh, do like them, and they, 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 those types of effects are spreading um, kind of socially throughout their networks. But this is something that's going to take some time to diffuse to to the larger population. And, and as you both kind of alluded to, but Jeremy, I pose this to you. I mean, we were coming at a time where traditional automakers were starting to think of, of having these cars in their fleets on a more regular basis and, and try and market them uh, just as much as they as they market uh, uh, internal combustion uh, vehicle engines. So, I mean, it's 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 a tough time for the automakers who, who have to feel like they're a little bit uh, caught in the middle here. Right. And the automakers are also being pushed by state policy. So um, Calif- half of the electric vehicle sales in the United States are sold in California. California has a mandate. If you want to sell vehicles in California, a certain percentage of them need to be zero tailpipe emissions. So electric is one of the few ways to do that. And uh, half of the remaining vehicles are sold in other states that have adopted uh, California's zero emission vehicle policy. 
So if the tax credits are eliminated, that's not going to bring the sale down to zero, right? Those right. automakers still have to comply. But the question is whether their calculation is to barely comply with the standard, maybe only offer vehicles in those states, versus really try to push them as a major part of the fleet. So do you think state policy can take the take up some of the slack? I don't know if it can take up all of it, but some of the slack that could potentially be there if this, uh, if this piece to the tax plan is included. Yeah, it can. But of course, there's if the harder that is for automakers to actually sell these vehicles, the more political pressure there is to um, to not have really stringent requirements for those automakers selling in those states. So everything is kind of connected. And I think the uh, you know the seventy five hundred dollars per vehicle is pretty hard to make up in other places. Right. I should mention that these credits are designed to run out anyway. I mean, right. They're, they're, yep. It's only two hundred thousand uh, units per automaker, and a few of the automakers are already. Uh, hit half of those in, the, in sales. So the big change here is to try to make it run out faster for everybody. Uh, and that's going to make it, yeah, it's hard for automakers plan vehicles five years ahead. So um, it's hard to uh, plan when the tax uh, uh, rules are changing uh, in, in the middle of a design um, process. Well, it costs to, what do you think, when we look at, at the different uh, companies that are involved in, in the electric vehicle market right now, how does this impact, say, you know, uh, somebody like a Chevrolet or, or GM in comparison to Tesla, which, I mean, that is, that is their whole boat right now? Well, Chevy and GM uh, have been making big bets in this space. And I, just like uh, Volvo and, and other automakers, Daimler, uh, have all kind of signaled that with or without this tax credit, that their future is going to be more and more electrified, whether that's partially uh, electrified or fully electrified. But I'll note that the Chevy Bolt and the Chevy Volt are the second and third most selling electric vehicles this year, right after Tesla. And so it's not going this this doing away with this credit is not just uh, going to hurt Tesla. It's going to hurt uh, lots of different other manufacturers who have made big investments in this space. What about the the infrastructure piece to uh, to electric vehicles? How far along are we advanced in that? Because, uh, because I'd be interested to know, I mean, obviously the ability for people, if they're going to buy an electric vehicle, to be able to charge it at their homes. But a lot of people are wondering, you know, do we have to have greater infrastructure in our country in general to be able to make these vehicles uh, more a, a, an option to be able to go across the country? Costa? Well, you know, our infrastructure is not great to begin with. We have a kind of a D-plus rating by the American Society of Civil Engineers, yeah. and the power sector is uh, in need of major reinvestment. I think the good news here is that many of the existing consumers that uh, are looking at these vehicles have a garage and could upgrade their electrical panel to handle this. Most consumers are going to be charging at home. Uh, I think as we uh, as the diffusion of electric vehicles um, you know gets bigger, um, the the options for public charging are going to need to increase. But there's plenty of room for first adopters. I don't think that infrastructure is going to hold back the first wave of adoption. Now, as we move forward, a more robust reinvestment in both the generation, the transmission, the distribution, and the home and and public charging is going to need to uh, be reconsidered. But right now, there's there's room to advance. Jeremy. I'll only add that uh, the, the answer to that question is a little different for plug-in hybrid vehicles versus pure electric vehicles. So plug-in hybrid vehicles, you plug them in at home, you drive them for a while on electricity. Yeah. When you run out, it just switches to gasoline. So the public charger is nice. It can help you extend your electric range, but it's not critical to be able to own those vehicles. So we can transition those vehicles now 
even if we don't have a big rollout of public charging infrastructure. When you get to the pure battery electrics, and if that's the household's only car and they're going to take it on long trips, then being able to recharge that battery quickly and uh, reliably along the way is is a big deal. And uh, so I think it, it becomes a, a whole, it's more of holding back large adoption of pure electric vehicles, uh, especially when it gets beyond sort of secondary or tertiary vehicles in the household. You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Dan Loney in our studios here in Philadelphia, talking with Jeremy McCulloch and uh, also Acosta Samaras, both of Carnegie Mellon University. We're talking about the potential loss of the tax credit for people that buy electric vehicles. Uh, that is a potential piece of the GOP tax plan, still to be determined. 844 Wharton is the number if you would like to chime in with your comments or your questions. 844 7866 or if you like send us a comment via Twitter either at bizradio111 or my Twitter account which is at danloney21 costa since some of these automakers have been making these investments uh, it would seem to me that they would also be playing uh, the, the similar game that a lot of companies do of trying to put pressure on Capitol Hill to try and see if they can get this this potential loss of tax credit out and keep it in, at least until you hit those those 200,000 numbers. Well, I mean, you know, all of these companies are going to advocate in their interest and in their shareholders. I think what's more important is what does their next set of vehicle platform look like um, with or without this tax credit. Um, and they signaled, um, both here and around the world, that electrification is, is their next major investment. And so I think that the, the long view here is that while the tax credit is important for uh, adoption in the United States in the, in the near term, that sooner or later, more and more of these vehicle offerings are going to be electrified in one way or the other. Hey, Jeremy, when, when you're talking about that 200,000 number that you both mentioned, uh, I mean, realistically, uh, some of these companies were were ready to, you know, in the next, what, five to five to 10 years, we're going to be hitting those numbers, maybe even in a shorter period of time. Yeah, that's right. But the idea is that it's difficult to get the technology off the ground once the, yeah. once the initial models are being sold and there's learning. Uh, there's sort of learning both in the innovation of the design itself, like getting better, cheaper batteries. There's uh, learning on how to manufacture the vehicles more uh, more inexpensively. And there's this getting over the hump of having consumers be aware of the vehicles and not feel like it's a foreign technology, but rather maybe their neighbor has one, maybe they've driven in one before. And so as we get rid of some of those other barriers, the idea is that then the market can kind of take care of itself. So the thought was to have provide enough credits for a long enough period of time that uh, we can kind of get over that hump. Well, and the the, the innovation and the development of the technology, uh, and obviously uh, you are both uh, involved in that uh, at, uh, at Carnegie Mellon. I mean, these are vehicles that have come such a long way in a relatively short period of time, Jeremy. Well, yes and no. I mean, we've known about electric vehicles for a long time. Uh, there has been a big push in battery technology that's yeah. made them look um, more competitive, like they, there's potential to be competitive with gasoline. I mean, now, depending on the price of gasoline, if gasoline goes up enough, these things can be competitive now. Um, but gasoline goes down, it, it's a tough sell. So, um, the yeah, the big push has been how do we get batteries cheaper uh, in particular so that we can put a longer range on the vehicle? How do we recharge them more quickly? And, um, yes, I mean, I agree there's a lot of innovation, but I've seen it be mostly incremental. I mean, there's not been this big breakthrough technology that changes everything. It's uh, lots of engineering, lots of iterations of work, new ideas kind of incrementally got getting added to these 
to make them cheaper over time. Is it in part cost, and, and it, it seems weird that I, I'm going to ask this question, but is it in part to a degree the kind of the, the vainness of the consumer of wanting a certain type of look of a car that, that maybe hasn't in part pushed electric vehicles in the past as much? Well, you know, consumers have, have preferences about cars that the auto manufacturers have known for a long time. Uh, it typically has not been fuel efficiency. Uh, that's been towards the bottom of their yeah. preferences. They like the look, they like the feel, the sportiness, even the cup holders. Um, yeah. I do think that uh, the electrified models have some advantages that other consumers are not aware of in terms of their torque, their starting capacity, uh, the, the smoothness of the ride, that those things that Jeremy was, was mentioning, the neighbor effect, when you start seeing more and more of these around, they become less uh, unfamiliar and more consumers might be interested in them. I also should add that, uh, you know, gasoline engines are not standing still. Um, you, one could go get a very efficient um, hybrid or, or just traditional combustion gasoline engine that these vehicles are going to have to compete with on, on fuel prices. Well, and part of it is the fact that you you do have uh, a variety of different models of hybrids that are out there right now that does, in some cases, cause to play right to what, the cons- as you kind of alluded to, what the consumer is looking for in a vehicle. Right. Uh, and so people buy their first or second vehicles um, with a whole host of uh, attributes in mind. And for many, as Jeremy alluded to, uh, a pure electric vehicle might not serve their needs for their for their first and maybe only vehicle. However, uh, you know, as the technology improves and as folks are, are thinking about a, a second car or even their first car, um, there are there is a deep bench of uh, potential consumers that could be first adopters for these types of vehicles. And removing the tax credit would um, you know remove some of those folks and push them back towards a gasoline model. 844-WHARTON is the number to give us a call, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. In terms of the the development of the uh, of the technology, Jeremy, I mean, how... How far along are we? I mean, with the batteries, it's one thing, but the vehicles themselves and and developing other pieces to electric vehicles to make them even more attractive. Yeah, that's true. There are a lot of components to that. So just one example, all vehicles are less efficient in the cold than they are um, when they're hot. And so uh, operating in the winter in Pennsylvania, uh, you're going to have some range decrease in these electric vehicles, which is um, exacerbated when you're trying to keep the passengers in the in the uh, passenger compartment warm. So uh, advancements in the way that we warm the cabin, for example, warming the seats instead of trying to warm the entire cabin so to keep the passenger comfortable with less energy consumption, makes a difference in terms of the competitiveness of these vehicles. So there's a whole bunch of things like that that are being innovated simultaneously. Nevertheless, I think the, the hinge is really on the battery, and the battery's got to be cheap enough so that, I mean, the electric vehicle is going to be more expensive than a gasoline vehicle at purchase, but you try to make up the cost over the life by using a cheaper fuel. And you can only make up so much cost over the life. So the battery has to, prices have to come down to become more competitive. Costa? I, I, I agree. Um, I think what is also playing into to, uh, to this comparison is as more and more cars are getting automated features, uh, that those features allow a driver to uh, have adaptive cruise control or stay in their lane or um, have auto braking. Um, those are new 
uh, new features that drastically improve safety, but also uh, may or may not be available on on some of the more advanced, um, uh, you know, at, uh, electric vehicles at the lower end of the scale. What all manufacturers are trying to do right now is include some of these automated features uh, at the lowest possible price point and compete on price uh, and features across across their entire model line. Um, the ability for electrics to compete on a fuel price basis, as as uh, Jeremy just alluded to, is is high. The, these these cars can beat uh, a, a cost per mile yeah. um, any day of the week, and also these cars don't need oil changes and uh, the pure electric ones, and they they have less moving parts. But all of it comes down to that initial sticker price, which uh, can be the biggest hump trying to get over uh, for consumers on these cars. So as, as the development of the batteries really is able to improve, then you expect that we will see a, a marginal, uh, well, maybe not marginal, but a, a decline in the price of these vehicles that will make them that much more attractive to the consumer in general. Oh, I think we've seen that already. Yeah. Uh, you know, when uh, we first started looking at these vehicles a decade ago, uh, we would have never imagined that the price would have gotten so cheap so fast. Uh, but it still has a long way to go. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, the this is a, a story about volume. And, and as you get more and more of these vehicles uh, uh, constructed and on the roads, um, the the limits and the potential of what where we can go on battery prices, we're going to be able to figure this out. For both of you, what do you think, when you look historically about electric vehicles for a second, what was really the turning point that, that automakers really started to say, and I'm, I'm thinking not necessarily of Tesla, but of the, of the traditional automakers, that they really started to say, you know what, this is, this is a component that can be very important to our overall uh, sales strategy, and it can bring something uh, very good for the U.S. economy or for the global economy. Jeremy? I don't have a clear answer, but I think that one part of this answer is that the, uh, the the push from the states to mandate sales of zero emission vehicles, pushing starting from California, forced the automakers to figure out a way to get some of these vehicles into the fleet. Then the automaker has to decide: Am I going to do the bare minimum to comply with this uh, with this regulation, or am I going to try to take advantage of this to make a vehicle that I can push on, push sales on, might lose money in the first some number of years, but eventually would become a, um, you know, a core part of the fleet. And so I think that uh, the push from these uh, state mandates has been a, a major factor in the uh, rollout of electric vehicles from, from automakers. Costa? I, I agree. Uh, the, the states uh, have driven this. Um, I think some of the turning point started to be when a vehicle like the Nissan Leaf or the Chevy Volt was cheap enough that an average consumer could cons- could have it in their uh, amongst their car buying choices. Other manufacturers started to say, "Hey, maybe we should be in this game," uh, and started ramping up investments. And as Jeremy said earlier, you know the the car industry is on a five to ten year cycle, and so if they want to release a car, uh, you know, in the next you know five to ten years, they have to start planning for it now. Yeah. And so it's hard to think about how. Um, you know, how technology is going to evolve in that time frame. Uh, but I do think also that uh, when utilities who have uh, electric utilities have, have traditionally stagnating electric demand in mo- many places in the country, now all of a sudden they're looking at this and saying, hey, this is a new source of uh, a revenue for us. And so you're starting to see a different coalition of 
uh, folks coming behind these types of vehicles uh, and and pushing their advocacy at the state level. A comment from Twitter uh, from a listener. I, he says, I will buy an electric car when I see half the people out there using one and the government subsidizes buying batteries. Uh, Jeremy, I'll let you respond to that. Yeah, I think that's that's good to hear because um, we, it makes us think about the difference between early adopters and the mainstream. So uh, we've got some early adopters, particularly buyers of like the Tesla Model S, where these are expensive vehicles and the types of people who purchase these vehicles may not be as affected by a loss in that tax credit. They lose the $7,500, yeah. but for them, that's not, that's not the main reason they were buying the vehicle anyway. Um, but for the mainstream consumer like this, sort of waiting for it to be half the fleet before they become interested, um, I mean, that is a significant portion of the market, and those people are different than those early adopters. So to push into that mainstream, costs really do have to come down so that it becomes kind of an economic calculation that you want to switch to electric, in addition to some of those things that Costa mentioned, that it's just nice to drive a vehicle that has that great low-end torque, is really quiet, um, you know, has, it doesn't have the gasoline engine uh, yeah. noise. So there are some benefits there as well. But consumers, um, you know, needed to be really attractive on cost in order to move away from something that they're already used to and already familiar with. Caustic, that comment that the the listener made, uh, seeing half the people out there using one, do you think that that the the industry can get to that point at some point? Uh, Not anytime soon, uh, with or without the tax credit. Getting half of the vehicles on the road as uh, 50% electric is going to take some time. Uh, Look, you know, I have a car that's 19 years old, and many of our cars that are on the road right now are 10, 12, 15, 18 years old, and it just takes a long time for for the existing car fleet to flip over, which is one of the reasons why kind of encouraging lots of new sales uh, through the tax credit and other incentives is, is kind of important to speed that transition along. 844 Wharton is the number if you would like to join in with a comment on the phone 844-942-7866 or if you'd like if you can't get to your phone as we just did you can send us a comment on Twitter and we can bring it up on the show through that manner at biz radio 111 biz radio 111 or my Twitter account which is at Dan Loney 21. I'd be interested to get your uh, both of your opinions on, and obviously we're talking about a variety of different automakers here, but but what role can Tesla play in this whole process, away from the tax credit, but just the ability to advance the electric vehicle uh, technology and the sale of these vehicles moving forward? How important a role do they play, Costa? Well, their announcement of the Model 3, uh, which is their kind of their general purpose, uh, you know, consumer car, uh, you know, was met with great fanfare and uh, appropriately. This was a model that was not uh, a luxury, high-end luxury vehicle, but something um, that many consumers could consider. Uh, and they are still looked to as the kind of the, the, the leader in advancing this technology. And now they're going to have to deliver on their promises to, uh, to make all these Model 3s. And I think that they're kind of going through their own growing pains as they ramp up from a niche and boutique auto manufacturer to, uh, you know, an OEM, an original equipment manufacturer, you know, one of the big, one of the big three, maybe one of the big four. Uh, but it's going to take some time, uh, you know, the, between the volume that they do, which is very low, and the, the volume of, of, of a traditional uh, uh, auto manufacturer. Um, but, you know, they're going to have to deliver on consistent quality, price, and performance uh, on levels that I don't know if they're anticipating yet. And I hope that they can make it, uh, but we're going to have to see. Jeremy? 
I'll just add that I think Tesla's made a big difference in the public imagination about what an electric vehicle is because, you know, some years ago, electric vehicle kind of meant golf cart and people yeah. would maybe imagine something that wouldn't be much fun to drive. Yeah. And Tesla flipped that on its head by selling a fancy luxury vehicle that people wanted, even if they didn't care about the environment, didn't care about the sort of electric technology, but it's just an, just a cool vehicle. So uh, and the zero to 60 time on that car it beats an awful lot of other sports cars. So um, you know, that has changed how people think of what electric vehicle technology is. Great having you both with us. Thank you very much for your time. Jeremy Costa, appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you Great both. To be with you. Thank you. Jeremy Mihalik and uh, also Costa Samaras of Carnegie Mellon University. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.